Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Koshovsky, and welcome to another episode of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from remote work experts, digital nomads, and location-independent entrepreneurs, so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by my friend Jordan Carroll, one of the top remote work recruiters and the author of the new book, Remote for Life, How to Find a Flexible Job and Fast Forward to Freedom. During this interview, Jordan shared why he decided to write his new book, why networking is so important and how to become a master at it in a remote setting, how to use the 555 LinkedIn technique to increase your reach, what role freelancing plays in the economy of the future, and much, much more. But before we jump into the interview, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where every Monday I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business, tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you will also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash Remote Insider. That's Remote Insider, all one word. Finally, if you haven't left a review of the show already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that. You can do that by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and leaving your review right there. It's super fast, literally takes just two minutes, and I would really appreciate it. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Jordan Carroll. Jordan, welcome back to the podcast, man. How you doing? We back. Let's go. Let's get it, dude. So uh, you've been on the podcast before. This is uh, round number two for you. So uh, you were back on the episode. You were on the podcast back. We just looked at this uh, on episode 137, where we talked about how to land your dream remote job. And that was a super popular episode. So I'm very excited to have you back on. And You've written a book. It just came out recently. It's called Remote mm-hmm. for Life, How to Find a Flexible Job and Fast Forward to Freedom. So congratulations uh, on, on writing that book. How do you feel now uh, as a published author? Dude, whoo, so many emotions this week. Uh, you're catching me a couple days after the release and then also mere hours after a virtual launch party where I had some people get together and we did like a, we had a freestyle rap performance. We had my girlfriend leading a breathwork ceremony. We did a raffle for safety wing and for focus mate. And I was listening to Taylor's episode earlier. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was just awesome, man. Like I have so many conflicting emotions. You know, it's interesting that I realized about myself during this process is that I have manic episodes. I didn't realize that I have this, but I have some sort of tendency to be completely manic and tunnel visioned on something. And this week in particular, I've just been like so lasered in on this book that there's been no, like, it's like I sit down and there's nothing else I can think about. The book promotion, the party that I threw and, and it's been really weird because I felt really full as far as like fulfilled. I felt really relieved at times. I felt really energized. Like I just constantly feel like a stream of energy in my body right now. It's interesting because whenever someone has mentioned manic episodes to me before, I always view it as like a negative thing. But the way that you describe yeah. it, like those are my favorite moments when you're like, you have tunnel vision, you have Supreme that focus. Flow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the best, right? Well, and maybe I don't know. Am I using it correctly? I think that I think when I talk, well, I've talked to some people who ha- have have been diagnosed with certain things that that cause them to have manic episodes. It goes one of two ways. It goes in either really a positive direction, where all they can think about is some something that's really positive in their life, and they're just like on it, or it's like really depressive. It's not like a depressing thing for me. It's like a locked in, but like really can't shut it off where it shows up as potentially negative is in my relationship and also just like my health i'm like i'm like literally waking up and i'm like justifying like dude don't need to go to the gym today just gonna get on my computer and like knock this out and that's not necessarily how i want to live so it's been really interesting to go through the waves of emotions because there are these times it's like super fulfilled super relieved 
super happy, super this, super that. But then I'm talking to my girlfriend the other day and I just can't be, I couldn't be present with her. I was just like, I like wanted to go do more book stuff. And so I was like, wow, like I'm really getting an interesting picture of this from a, a person who's really close to me. So that's interesting. So why, I'm curious, why write this book now? Because you've obviously been in this space for a long time. You've been working as a recruiter and especially in like re- remote work for, for a long time. Why write this book now? Yeah, I've actually originally started the book outline in 2018. <laughs> so I had a vision of starting it then and I wrote an outline and I hired a book consultant and we went through the process of doing that. And then I dropped it and I said, forget this. Uh, this is not a priority. And it sat on the shelf for two years, this little outline that I created. And I'm so glad I procrastinated because oh, yeah. if I did not, if I would have written it in 2018, 19, can you imagine? Can you just imagine like what, how out of date the book would have been? <laughs> like yeah. with the, pan- the pandemic not happening? And the perspective that I'm putting in the book, like it's so See, much better I, post-pandemic. I, I agree. But I think that there, like, I was going to say, like, do you regret not writing it? Because at the no. same time, like, I'm so thankful that I started this podcast in 2019 because now the fact that I started this in 2019 as opposed to 2020, like people were like, oh, you've been into this pre-COVID. Do you know what I mean? Like there's sure. almost like, yeah. like the book would have obviously had to have been like rewritten and there would have been like an addition too, but there's almost like, yeah. you know, like that they could have like helped more people through COVID essentially. But I think we've learned so much because of COVID about remote work that uh, the short answer is no, I don't regret it. And I'm actually really thankful for, the perspective. I know it was a tragic time for a lot of people and it's, it's not to be said that it was a net positive thing that COVID was. But if you look at any disaster, if you look at any pandemic, you look at anything that could be labeled as really bad, you can also try to look at the positives. For me, it just happened to be in an industry that was very positively impacted by something. It was like accelerated beyond uh, a a rate that I don't think would have ever been done if it had not happened. So first and foremost, no, don't regret it. I think it gave me a lot of perspective. And if you look at my LinkedIn, if you look at like my body of work, you would see that I've been doing it since before then. So I don't necessarily need the ego pat that I've been doing it from since before. Like, because if you read the author bio of the book, you'll see that I've been doing it from before. And I think that gives me the credibility. And then now it's just even more relevant than ever to have a book like this. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, I I haven't been able to read the book because I just got my copy like two days ago, but I've been skimming through it and uh, I have to say it looks really incredible. I love that the, there's a lot of things that, like I've thought about before and it was very like fun for me to actually like read your thoughts on that. And mm. it's really exciting. I really recommend people like, I mean, you should listen to the rest of this episode, but you should definitely go over and get that book. We're going to have a... Uh, um, a link in the show notes so uh, you can head on over there and, and get that book uh, ASAP because you have to read it. But I want to ask you one of the things that I, I highlighted in the book and that I've just noticed through reading a lot of your stuff o- over the years and just like, you know, I know in, in our conversations this is really important to you is like networking. And I think that there's this idea in remote work that networking is almost like a, like a bad thing in terms of like the person who networks is the person who's like, um, maybe able to get, um, more FaceTime with like the decision maker, whatever, there can be almost like a negative aspect to that. So can you talk about like the way that you view networking and why that's so important? And like, you know, just kind of like how you view it in terms of like, like the job search and and getting hired. Sure. So it's interesting that the example you chose, and I may, may challenge you on this, is like the networker gets more face time with the decision maker. So why is that a bad thing? <laughs> so I don't think there is a bad thing. Like I am, okay. here's, let me, let me kind of like give you background. That is like, if there is like a skill that I have that is like a, I was a born with skill, it's communicating and networking. I've always been really, really good at that. 
But I feel like in the remote work world, there's a little bit of pushback because I think that there's this underlying narrative that the person who is a really good networker sometimes isn't the best person for the job or the most talented person for that position, if that makes sense. And so I feel like in the narrative, there's been a little bit of pushback uh, against this feeling of like, hey, the person who should get the best job, the job is the one that's best fit for the job, not necessarily the person who's able to like network about that. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I'm kind of curious to hear your point of view on that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try to dissect a few things on here. So one of them is just the word networking and like, what does that mean? And may- maybe I'll ask you, what do, what do you, how do you define it? I think networking means like, to me at least, it means building relationships with people. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't really, I think people put a negative connotation to it, but I don't necessarily do that. Exactly. And that's kind of where I was going is like, I think part of the narrative that you're talking about is that just the semantic of the word mm. is like weird for some people. They're like networking and it's sleazy and it's weird. It's like, what if we just called it building relationships or making friends on the internet, <laughs> making friends on the internet. That, that to me maybe is a little bit more palatable. And I kind of talk about this in the book, but redefining your relationship with the word itself is one of the first steps. It's like, how do I look at networking as something that actually is really helpful for me? in my life beyond a job search making it's it's like making friends that are connections it's like oh potentially finding my next romantic relationship it's like finding more opportunities if i'm an entrepreneur like whatever your reason is to network we all have a need as as a human to interact with others so the the definition of networking should then be just the accumulation of the interactions we have with other humans and if you're a good networker you have awareness of what this means to be connected to other people and how to leverage it to get what you want in your life in general. So just like broadening out and just realizing that, Hey, this is a skill that you should build. And I would contend, and I actually challenge you again, that, yeah, you may have been, you may have some kind of predisposition for the skill, but I imagine that even more than you realize you have worked on this as a skill to make it so that you're really good at networking. So, you're very correct in this because when I think about it, like as an immigrant, you know, I moved to the United States and I had, I couldn't speak English. I had no friends. I couldn't talk with anyone. And so it was something that I had to like at 10, 11 years old, I had to almost like real like teach myself how to like communicate and how to make friends and how to do all of that. And so I yeah. think I kind of had to maybe relearn that when I was older. And because of that, I have like a more, cognitive understanding of that i don't know if i'm like necessarily like communicating that properly and when i'm talking about as as you're talking about (laughs) communicator let me let me try it for you because i think the need was born at a really young age Mm -hmm. at a very impressionable age and you could look at that situation and see how maybe you it might have been traumatic right like you could choose the definition of that experience for yourself which was potentially i came to the u.s i'm an immigrant i don't know the language it was really traumatic But I think what you chose, which is maybe a product of like your parents or like your upbringing or the way that, you know, you were predisposed, Mm -hmm. it was like looking at it as an opportunity to like grow this skill. And maybe it was like more subconscious that as you grew up, you're like having that experience, like really helped you understand social dynamics, really helped you understand how to influence people. And I know that you are very obsessed with personal development, self-development, reading, all those things. So for me, it's not a surprise that you're a great networker. And I think that that is how to look at it is it's just a skill to be good at. If you can imagine like the most technical person ever who's a programmer who's maybe thought of to be in a basement, dark basement writing code, it's like if one of those types of skill sets were combined with ability to be a good networker, can you imagine what kind of powers this kind of person could unlock? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So any job seeker that I work with, no matter what their talent is, this networking piece becomes a prerequisite to their success. I've talked to maybe four or five job seekers this week that I work with. Every single one of them have, has gotten an interview because of networking. And very simply, finding people at their target companies who are posting content on LinkedIn, commenting on that, 
and then adding them after they comment and start a conversation in the comments. So you don't even have to like, like you literally just find the posts of people at the company that your target company, you comment on it in an authentic way and you learn how to make friends online. If you can learn how to make friends online in a targeted way, everything can happen for you. Like in this world, it's, it's crazy. So it's going from this mindset that networking, networking is weird or disgusting or whatever it is you want to classify it as and saying, oh, like in an internet age, I can actually pre-qualify who I network with. I can be really strategic about using my time in order to send messages. I can be really laser focused and can scale that activity. And you could do that because it's online. If you were in person at an event, you're constricted to the people that are at that event. You're constricted by time with how much conversation you can have with each person. And you don't always necessarily know, should I talk to this person or should I not? So all of this should be seen as a massive advantage, especially for introverts. Introverts try to get out of this. And I'm like, no, no, no. You get to have one-on-one conversations and at scale. It's a huge advantage for an introvert who usually prioritize small groups, one-on-one communication. It's like, that's your way to do it is do it virtually so you're not in these big crowds and you don't lose all that energy. So no matter what you do, you don't have an excuse. Like networking is a skill that can be built and it's for everybody, especially in this virtual context and can be super, super powerful. Can you maybe like talk about a few, maybe like, let's say like three ways, three exercises that people can do in order to build up that skill of networking in case that's not something that comes to them naturally? Yeah, I can tell that you've read the book. No, it's good. Because <laughs> I, I actually have an exer- I actually have an exercise in I'm I'm setting up the, the pitch for you yeah, to knock it out pitch, of the ballpark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to give you a few things. One is how to network that uh, with new potential people. And I've talked about it a little bit already. It's finding the content. So going on LinkedIn and finding content. Because a lot of people think, oh, I need to have my own original content on LinkedIn. Like I need to post my own stuff. It's like, that's not necessarily true. When I start with new job seekers, what I say is leverage other people's content to your advantage. So you have someone who is at your target company who's posted a post, go on there and be one of the first people that comment on it. Because if you're one of the first people that comment on it, you could be shown really high in the comment thread, especially if it's someone who's popular and they get a lot of views. That can bring views to you and then have a really, really great headline. So like if your headline is something that is really optimized to what it is that you do as a role, the industry that you're in, who it is that you serve, all those things, there'll be a preview of that headline in the comment. So those comments become really important. So don't just leave, oh, this is great, comment. It's how do I leave a thoughtful comment that includes my... um, my formula is a compliment, a perspective, and an open-ended question. So start with a compliment, compliment the post, compliment whatever it is that you can. Perspective, add in your expertise and something that was not included that can be added to their perspective. And then add an open-ended question so that they come back in and, and, and restart a, a thread with you. Now, once you've done that, once they've responded, then you go and do add, like connect with the person. And you add in the note, always add a note. About oh, that drives the con- me crazy when people yeah, don't do that, yeah. when they like don't add a note. Yeah, and you add a, a conversational piece about the content. So then what happens mm. is you're actually building a real relationship. And again, you're only choosing content that's actually resonant with you that you can talk about. And you're not choosing something that's like super random. You're choosing people that are at these target companies that are posting. You can also do this. You can replicate this for companies. So you can go to company pages. You can comment on company pages. And I will guarantee you, there's so much less competition in this commenting game than there is on the application game. So if you're in an application, it might be hundreds of applications. You go in the comments, it might be a couple of comments. So the attention, the visibility that you're getting is so much higher. And you do that consistently. What you can do is you can follow these people on LinkedIn and it will tell you every single time that they're posting. You can There's a little notification bell on LinkedIn now. So you can add that. So it's a big, a big hack there. And then, uh, yeah, just continue to do that. And then when you feel comfortable with adding them, you can actually just add them. So that's that's one tip. You want more? Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's do let's do one more. But I will say, like okay. on the, I actually while you were talking, I wrote down like add a note when you're adding someone, because I've started like being more active on LinkedIn, and I've just seen it as like a really great yeah. place to have like good conversations, especially in the remote work world. And one of the things is, like people will add me, and I'm like, 
why are you why are you adding me you're not giving me any context and like my rule is like if you give me a note like well i want to learn more about you like i want to connect but if you're not giving me like something to bite onto in some way like i don't really know yeah. how to like start that conversation so like always add a note if you're connecting with someone and i would add on to that when you're adding a note it should be something that is unique enough that the person doesn't think that you're sending this to everybody because what ends up mm -hmm. happening is there's a lot of sales uh notes that you'll get that folks like myself get I get, you know, sales pitches like multiple times a day and it's all the same. Mm, like that's interesting. They're like they're just pitching me something. It's very obvious. And they're sending this to hundreds of people, if not thousands of people a week. So when you're sending that note, just make sure that in the context of you and this other person, this note, this message can only apply in this situation. It's like gotcha. If I sent this note to anyone else, it wouldn't make sense. And that's what I want to see as a receiver of that. It's like, oh wow, this person actually took the time to comment on my content mm -hmm. and then send me a, a personalized message about how much they liked it or, or their, their additional question or whatever it is, like another additional compliment, because that's what starts an actual friendship online. And that's again, what we're looking for. And it doesn't, the basis of friendship or like these relationships does not have to be very high for a person to recommend you. You'd actually be very surprised how many people, if you've got an optimized LinkedIn profile and you comment with like a legitimate comment that shows your expertise, you'd be surprised how many people from just that alone will recommend you for a job at their company because they might get a referral bonus from it too. So like you're kind of always, and then no one's doing that. No one's like messaging them like this. Everyone's asking them for the favor. Whereas if you're just talking about the content that they've posted, there's a little bit of an ego boost there for them and they're not necessarily um, realizing, I mean, you are looking for something from them, but it's not leading the relationship with that. It's leading the relationship with value that you've given yeah. them. Gotcha. So, yeah. What's maybe one more quick like networking tip, especially, and I love this in terms of like LinkedIn because I think that a lot of people haven't like really like thought about it. Like a lot of people are to told like be on LinkedIn so that there's almost like a resume, but I feel like people yeah. aren't really using it to its full potential. Yeah, the five by five by five technique. So you're basically se segmenting a certain amount of time every single day at the same time. I would say start off with 30 minutes and my recommendation for you is to connect with five targeted people, leave five targeted comments and unfollow five irrelevant people. So the mm. first one, the, uh, and actually the commenting can go before the adding people is like, just like I said, find people in the target company, find people in groups, find people who are posting content in hashtags. You can find content in all sorts of ways, but I would leverage the feeds that are the most important and a lot of times that's target companies people that are posting at your target companies there's an actual feed you can get on linkedin for this it's in the segmentation you're choosing all filter you're choosing content and you're choosing all filters you're choosing all the target companies and yeah, the authors of those target companies and then look at that feed comment and then add those people so you can get five that way for each of those two and then the, the unfollow the idea for that was Hey, like a lot of us have built these social media feeds very unintentionally to where you get all this irrelevant fluff in your feed. And if you're a job seeker, you want every single time that you open your LinkedIn feed to be super relevant. You want every single post to be helping you in your job search so that you don't even have to like go to these other feeds. You can just use the main feed for the main function of your job search. So that requires you unfollowing anyone who doesn't you remain connected though which is the beautiful thing you don't disconnect that connection where that gives you more access to more people you just stop seeing their posts in your feed so if someone's posting like a different language or it's completely irrelevant like you're just like ah like i don't want to see that unfollow so just making that a habit like for me that was like super beneficial so if you look at my linkedin feed it's just like laser focus it's all about remote work it's like all i, all I see is like you and I have 16,000 16, plus followers, but all I see is like you, I see Darren Murph, I see Chase Warrington. Like nice. I see all that I want. Wow, my name between those two, I got to buy you a beer yeah. next time I see you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And you, you can drink it for me since I quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a really specific question, but uh, I recently saw this in a discussion and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. If you're applying for a job and 
you are very excited about it and you take kind of the initiative to not just apply for the job, but send an email to like the founder or the CEO or somebody like the, at, at like a high level to say like, Hey, I just applied for this job. I'm very, very excited. Here's why I think I'm the right person for this job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is this a good thing because you're showing your excitement and you're showing your initiative? Or do you see this as a negative because you're trying to somehow skip the order of operations and you're trying to kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're filling up that, you know, very busy person's like inbox. What do you think about that? Is that something you'd recommend? Is that something that you wouldn't recommend? Yeah. Uh, the short answer is there is no order of operations and there is no rules. You get to do whatever you want. <laughs> and that's what I love giving job seekers the permission to do is be creative, be unique, because if you're just waiting in line in an application process, uh, you're going to get the same result as everybody else who's waiting in line, which is wait time and then probably a rejection. So it's very much so recommended that you start to try to build. I mean, let's say the ideal situation. The ideal situation is you have a pre-existing relationship with somebody at the organization that can internally sponsor you or is someone who's the hiring decision maker, right? That's the ideal situation is that all those things are in place. If that's not in place and you are already kind of at the application stage, you want to do that then absolutely you need to close that gap between the decision maker and the people at the organization knowing you and not knowing you. So 100%, the extra research you do, that extra 10, 20 minutes of research you do to figure out who it is that's hiring and send them a, a greeting of some sort can be the, the make or break of you getting a position and you getting an interview. I would like to look at it as each step, we're just trying to get to the next step. So what is it that I need to do in the first step to get the interview? What is it, and then once you're in the interview, what is it that I need to do in the interview to get the next interview? What is it, and then you just understand the process, right? And then what is it I need to do in this last interview to get the offer? And like giving yourself some meaningful, tangible goals in each of those or milestones in each of those areas that give you the best likelihood of, of getting that, right? So again, I think, when you look at getting the interview, for instance, it's like, how do I skip the line? Like that should be absolutely something you ask yourself or skip the quote unquote order of operations to be very unique. I have a, a conversation I had with Austin Belsack on my YouTube. I have uh, another woman that I work with who's a coach whose name is Madeline Mann. We, we've all talked about this in our content. They, we call it different things. Austin calls it a value validation project. Madeline calls it a show don't tell project. I call it a value asset. You're creating a piece of valuable either content, asset, resource that you can send to someone like this that shows the expertise of your role. It may be a sample piece of work. It may be uh, something that gives them a, just a preview again of like what it's like to work with you and gives them an actual tangible example so they can say, hey, this, this guy sent this in and sent it directly to me. Like we need to interview him. That's the feeling that this person should have. It shouldn't be the feeling of, oh, this person sent me an email, like this is annoying. So you also just, just by sending the email, you're doing more than a lot of people, but that's not enough. Don't just send the email and think that, that because you sent that email, you are doing them a favor. Think of it as like, how do I give them a preview of what it's like to work with me in a way that they cannot say no now? Another way to do that is send a, video, a Loom video. So you send a Loom video of you explaining why it is that you're going to be a huge asset to their team. And I talk about this in the book. And I also have a, a complimentary resource in the resource library that gives you an entire script of, how, of what to do. So literally send them the Loom video of you explaining why it is your great role. Then keep that like a minute long at most. But I also would change the mindset to like, how am I making this process easier for them to choose me? Right? Because these people are hiring for a solution. You need to be obviously the solution to them. And the more that you reduce that bandwidth of you being the decision of their solution and making that decision easier, the better chance you have of getting hired and the easier it is for them. So you're actually doing them a favor is the way that I look at it. Yeah, I love that. I, uh, I'll give you a little example of something like this that I did once. Uh, I was like, I was... 
applying for a job and I uh, wanted to send an email to like the founder. And so when I did that, I was like, you know, I was trying to like, like showcase the fact that I'm like really creative and blah, 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 this kind of stuff. And I made, I designed a Pokemon card for myself with like my skills. And I did like the whole like Pokemon, like here's my attacks, like whatever. Uh, and so like, I sent that in over to them as like, a I don't know, like a lead in, like a lead kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, it, I ended up having a call with them and everything like that. So like, I guess, uh, you know, it worked out in that scenario. I want to ask you about the, the, you, you mentioned show don't tell, and that's something that like I've talked about on this podcast before. And it's, um, and you talk about it in the book in terms of like building a personal brand because i think building a personal brand is so important now that you know anyone can apply for a job from anywhere uh and i love this equation that you actually had in the book which is you describe a personal brand like this This is the equation it's in parentheses self-image plus other people's perspective of you times the behavior that you have like the things that you do can you talk a little bit about that and how can people increase the behavior variable here because in that equation and i agree with the way that you've kind of structured that equation but essentially the behavior variable is one is the most leverage right the higher the variable is even if the other two are, are lower you you know you're going to score higher so what are ways in which people can boost that behavior variable in their personal brand outside of like hey i'm just a nice person on the internet yeah, great, great question. Appreciate the shout out on the equation because I thought for many moons about does it actually make sense how I've it makes this. sense. I like yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. So I came up with this equation a couple years ago, I think, and the thought behind it was one: the self image that you have is it, it needs to be included. Like, how do you think of yourself? Which I think a lot of people might leave out because they think a personal brand is actually how other people view you. But it's like, no, how do you view yourself? Because that becomes an important component. But then also like other people have their perspective, which kind of evens that side of it out. But the behavior, it's like people figure you out. You give a long enough timeline, you will be figured out. I want to, this is very relevant time for FTX, right? To talk about, right? Like mm, Sam Bankman-Fried, right. <laughs> who was probably two or three weeks ago known as the most generous billionaire in the world. <laughs> what, is, what do people think of him today, right? If you ask the, the common uh, Bitcoiner, uh, crypto bro, whatever, what they thought of SBF today. And if people are listening to this and don't understand, I'm sure you can look online and figure this out, but he is <laughs> and, now and like basically, yeah, yeah. He's basically <laughs> evading, um, uh, law and, and being, you know, being cl claimed that he had stole up to $10 billion and all this other stuff. So his behavior eventually caught up to him. And now that becomes the multiplier of the equation right and it just becomes the thing that's so much heavier so i think if pretending like no one's like even when no one's watching pretending like everyone's watching like that i think is the measure of just who you are as a person like from a character perspective but in this personal brand equation it's like hey that becomes the multiplier is like how do you actually act behind closed doors like how do you uh live within the values and the alignment that you say that you do and, and how is that when there's no motivation or no reason or no recourse for you to, to not, right? If there's not going to be any punishment for you living a certain way, are you still going to live with the values that you say you live by and that you say online, or are you going to live uh, in a different way? So that's, that's the thought behind it. And so the reason why I'm, asking this and I'm, and I'm very interested in kind of like how you're viewing this because I think if you're going to go out there and apply for jobs and you want to stand out and you want to prove your expertise in a certain topic one of the best ways to do it is to like create small projects or do something like yes, build something yes. launch something like show like that's why I like I kind of highlighted this like show don't tell that I, I can't remember her name but like the person Madeline, who, yeah. who was interested in that. Um, yeah and so what are some ways that you've seen people do that in a, in a really successful way yeah well what's interesting is in the course in the book resources there is an application package resource that actually gives real examples so real things that people have done in addition to this i think there's been some people i've worked with who will take job descriptions of jobs that are for all intensive purposes jobs that they could do and would want to do and and you're just looking at the bullet points to see like how much do I stack up with these bullet points? And then you're choosing bullet points 
to create content off of. So you literally just take a bullet point requirement. You say, okay, this is a requirement that I'm supposed to have for this job. That's a really good fit for me. And now I'm making a post about this. It could be a video. It could be a podcast. It could be uh, just a text post. It could be sharing an article. It could be finding content that talks about it and then commenting. It could be all these different ranges. And let's say that this is the behavior quotient, right? It's because if you over time have demonstrated that you've been talking, like we just talked about this at the beginning, but it's like, You've been talking about remote work and been doing this podcast since 2019. There's probably some ego that you have attached to that. But again, if someone were to look at your body of work and say, oh, he's been doing this since 2019, like you have a much higher probability because you've put yourself out there and talked about this stuff of getting a job as, as say, like uh, an editor in chief of some type of company that needs, uh, or an editor, a chief editor of, of some type of company that needs, like, a con- like if you decided, you decided that you really wanted a job just as if me like if i decided i really wanted a job i could probably get a job if i was very intentional about it within a week or two um and and most of the phone call the quote-unquote phone calls or messages that i would send out would be responded to and i wouldn't have to do it in public either i would be able to do it completely in private by contacting probably a list of five to ten people who have companies that i actually would want to work at and i'd say hey this is a situation i'd be very intentional about this I actually want to start working again because of X, Y, and Z. These are some reasons why I want to contribute to an organization this way. And I've thought about it many times. Like, do I want to go do that? Because I kind of miss being part of something at, uh, in, in certain um, respects. But I realized, like, if I really needed to do that, like, I could pull a record in, like, two weeks. I could probably uh, be in an interview process with at least a couple of different companies. Yeah, that was actually for me, like, a really big – when I was deciding to drop out of college and I was trying to, like – uh, I was okay with it, but I kind of had to jump through the hoops of like explaining to my parents and make sure that they were comfortable with it. And one of the things that I used was like, hey, listen, if I go out there and I start a business, even if it fails, don't you think it's going to be way easier for me to like get a job when I show that like, hey, I'm a go-getter yeah. and I've done this and that as opposed to like, you know, just having like a like a piece of paper from some college about some degree that I'm most likely not going to use. And that's just been like an ethos that I've had since I dropped out of school of like, go out there, do good work. And even if it fails, people are going to notice that you're doing good work and you're going to have opportunity uh, on, on the other side. So uh, if you know how I to think- leverage it by using the brand and the network, because it could very much be the opposite to where if you don't have those skills and you haven't really done much work, both internally and externally to like figure that stuff out, it could also be the thing that uh, becomes way more difficult because I talk to many entrepreneurs that are trying to find jobs now and the articulation of what it is they can do is so messy because they're like, oh, I've done everything and I don't know how to find a job now and I haven't, and they haven't worked on their personal brand and they weren't really networking and they hadn't done all these things. And even if they had a successful business, it's much harder for them because they can't specifically point to like, oh, I am an expert in this realm of marketing. They're just like, oh, I just did everything. So I would say also like it can be a very difficult thing, but I love the way that you've chosen to look at it. Yeah. And actually I totally agree with that because that is something that entrepreneurs like when you ask an entrepreneur, what do you do? A lot of times it's like, oh, I wear a lot of different hats. And I feel like if someone were to like be transitioning from that experience into then getting a job, they want to showcase like, oh, I can do it all. Like, let me come in your company and help you with all these different things. But you want clarity, right? Like you almost need to like remove all the fluff and say, I want to do this for a company. I'm going to focus on my experience as an entrepreneur with this specific skill set and then sell that as opposed to like, you know, you, you say too many things, you cause confusion and confusion is the death of like all sales, whether it's selling yourself to a company or selling a product to a customer. With talking about entrepreneurship, I actually want to, this is something that we talked about before we hit record in terms of, we were, we were mentioning kind of like how important or searched for it is right now to have an entrepreneur within an organization, almost kind of going against what we were just saying. Can you talk a little bit about that and like how you're seeing that, uh, kind of taking place in the job market? Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing it kind of on both sides where there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are just tired of being on their own and for whatever reason, or they've, you know, their business hasn't been going as well as, as they want. So for whatever reason, they're like, all right, how do I find a job now? And they're just like, a lot of them are starting from scratch. It's just like, I haven't searched for a job in 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. So I'm finding a lot of that in the market. And I'm also finding a lot of smaller organizations 
that are appreciative of an entrepreneurial view on things because they want someone who can come in and do a lot of different things. But at the same time, they're not going to respond well to someone who's like coming in with the messaging of, oh, I can do a lot of things. What I would recommend is, especially for an entrepreneur, is get really clear on like what's the one skill set that you use the most in your business that you actually want to transition into a job. And then once you're in the organization, once you've gotten the job, that's when you can really like offer up your perspectives of like other things where it's like, oh, okay, now I'm working in the sales organization. I can help marketing because I did marketing and I can tell them a little bit more about this feedback I have on the messaging and I can extend a hand, right? So unless it's like really blatant in the job description that they're looking for X task or X, X type of role, X type of role and X type of role, all different things where you're wearing different hats. I would still choose to be very specific as an entrepreneur in where you lever- where your impact can be felt the most by a smaller co- by another company basically. Mm. What about I know that you have a chapter in the book on freelancing. Mm-hmm. Where do you see freelancing playing a role in the kind of like greater job market going forward? Uh the biggest like it's if I could I mean there's also a book that just came out about freelancing uh, from Alex uh, Fasulo. Uh, Fasulo, who I really she's been a past guest of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I really respect. Like we are, we had a launch day of the same day uh, of our books. <laughs> so that was super funny. Um, so I really think. I mean, if I could dedicate an entire book to freelancing i would i'm glad that she did so people can get that one as well but i have a i have a whole chapter i actually it was only going to be a couple sections of a chapter and then i like really pushed my publisher i'm like we need to add a a whole chapter on this because at some point i don't know when that's going to be in the next probably 10 years and there's some stats on this from upwork as well so i'm not like a rogue for saying this but i think that the most like for knowledge workers the most common thing will be to be a freelancer i think more people are going to realize like i can just take this commodity like this skill that i have and i can like move to somewhere where i'm not going to pay as much i'm going to be you know rural with my family whatever and i'm just going to kind of do 20 30 hours a week i'm going to make enough to get by i'm going to have some feast or famine months but i'd rather do that than work at a job that i hate and have to go to an office so that's going to be like the initial first wave of people and then there's going to be like a lot of people that are going to like, oh, I want to travel the world. The easiest way to do that is contract and freelance. And a lot of this is just like, hey, what are the semantics we're using? Like freelance, freelancing, contracting, you know, working, like whatever. I mean, it's just going to become how people work and it's just the structured way. And then you have a lot of companies like Remote or Oyster or Deal who are making those kind of contracts and those kind of um, em- employment benefits and things like that easier for companies too. So I think in the next five, 10 years, uh, that will be the easily the most common thing that knowledge workers do is be self-employed and just work a bunch of, maybe work a couple of contracts. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree with you. I really think like the future of work and I, I'm not even necessarily saying like that, like the mainstream, like that the vast majority of people are going to be doing this, but I think that a much bigger percentage than we see now, we're going to have like a, a way more people working as freelancers or have some sort of fractional career where maybe they're like, yeah. instead of being like a head of marketing for one company, they're maybe like the head of marketing for three companies that pay them a little bit less, but on like the total, they make more in, in some ways. Um, and I think that that's, I totally agree with you. I think that that's going to be the future. Um, and what do you think about, so this is something that I've talked about with some friends before about the importance of having brand name backing of your personal brand, right? So you have your personal brand, but one of the really important things that gives a lot of power is like, who have you worked with? Right. And so there's, there's these people that are like, oh, I've worked with uh so-and-so company or whatever, like that almost gives you more leverage if someone is a freelancer right now and wants to have like a long-term career do you think it's a good idea to say like hey i understand that you're a freelancer in the, in this space go and get a job with one of these big name brand companies so that then in like two years when you leave you can always say you have that like backing kind of gives you more credibility what do you think about that yeah, yeah i mean that wouldn't be what i would say to do first but to answer your question it helps 
what I would say to, I mean, are we talking about what we think people should do first or are we talking about if that's a net benefit? That's what I think is what I want to clarify. Yeah. I think like, what do you think about it as like a benefit? I uh, Let's, let's talk yeah. about it like both ways. Like, do you see it as a net okay. benefit? Do you see that importance in the, in the job market as well? And then what would you recommend people do? Yeah. I mean, the short answer is yes, that's a net benefit as far as if you're, especially if you're remaining in industry or the types of companies you want to work at were similar size, similar industry, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it all becomes relevant experience, right? Where you can point to, hey, I did this, I did that. So almost any experience, especially when you're first starting is good, but the more relevant it can be to what you want to do in the future, the better. So of course that's going to help. Now, what I would, what I would do first is I would just work for friends, like, or, or work, work for testimonials and get something on a resume that proves that you can do it. Use those things as the show don't tell, as the value asset, as the value validation project, all these different terms, but use whatever it is that you do as those early stages of proof. This is all about social proof. This goes back to the personal brand equation. Which one in that is social proof? Well, it's other people's perspectives. Other people's perspectives of you are, it is important. Like, it's not to say like, there's all these people that are like, uh, you shouldn't care what other people think. It's like, yeah, you should. <laughs> you should actually give a shit about what other people think because if you do, you make decisions based on staying aligned to your values in some circumstances. Or maybe you have someone who really cares about you who's trying to tell you something that's not easy to hear. It's like, yeah, you should care about what they say. I get the part of it where it's like, oh, don't care about what people say who you don't know and don't have a vested interest in your success or your well-being. That's what I would... Uh, actually agree with so these are all good things and then from a starting perspective start close to home with your network as much as possible so i once heard tim ferris uh talk about a part of the book you know the four-hour work week that he thought was really really important but that a lot of people skipped or didn't really focus on very much and for him that was um this this part of the book that was like kind of filling the void i want to ask you kind of the same question is there a part of the book and i know the book just came out so you don't have actual like statistics on like hey everybody reads this but are kind of like missing the point from this chapter but if you had to guess is there a part of the book that you really want to make sure that people like focus on or spend time on and really kind of like internalize that you maybe think they'll miss um or just like one that's really really important that they shouldn't miss yeah, I mean, the one that, and this is the one that happens in all the coaching. This is the thing that happens in all of my course. Like, if you look at my course statistics, like, everyone skips mindset. <laughs> Everyone's like, mm. no, 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 just give me to the, give me to the LinkedIn tactics. And I'm like, yo, dude, you don't even believe in yourself. <laughs> how, how the fuck is a LinkedIn tactic going to help you? And I had actually had a short form video about this the other day that was from a talk I gave in Bansko, Bulgaria. Your boy. There you went go. Went to Bulgaria. Yeah, yeah. So when I was in when I was in Bansko, I gave this speech about um, remote jobs. And one of the short form videos that I took out of that speech was about mindset because what I was saying was I could introduce someone to the perfect job opportunity for them. It's like number one company they would want to work at. It's like every single detail that's been written out has been made for them. Their past experience, what they're excited to do, meets all the criteria, all the checkboxes. They're in the middle of the Venn diagram as someone who can do it, but yet they don't believe in themselves subconsciously. Do you think that that person is going to succeed in that interview? The answer is no, of course not, because they don't believe in themselves. So underlying everything, no matter how many tactics you have, how much strategy you have, how many things you have going for you, if you don't believe in yourself, it doesn't matter. So that's why you should read that chapter too. Mm. What are your kind of quick tips on that? I mean, I know like people should definitely go get the book because it's, I mean, I, like I said, I've skimmed it and I've already been like very impressed. Like, like I said, I love the equation. So there's lots of gold in there, but can you give like people maybe like your favorite tip on how to like improve that mindset? Journal. Yeah. Uh, just writing things down, externalizing them. And if you don't like to journal, then do voice notes to yourself. <laughs> so like, just just literally making that a practice that you do can help you so much in realizing what patterns are occurring because you can go like I like I've been journaling since 2015. I can go look back in November of 2015. I go well, if I go to my parents' house and go dig up the journals, but 
I can go look these up and look at a day in 2015 and figure out how I was feeling and be able to like really see how far I've come. And I think a lot of, a lot of mindset and techniques like this is literally just actually being able to get out of our minds. Like we spend so much time up here that like if we can externalize those thoughts and put them somewhere and not identify with them as much as possible, that's going to help. Uh, and I would say like breath work and embodiment practices too, like getting into your body as much as possible, working out, like people don't want to like hear that, Hey, if you're going to be successful in your job search, you should work out. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, like, dude, it helps you with your mind. Like it helps you with your belief. It helps like doing something hard every day, like going to do a combat sport, like getting punched in the face in the morning. Like, eh, you don't need to do that, but, <laughs> but it might, it might help you in your mindset because nothing else is going to be harder the rest of the day. Like than that moment. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw out a tip on this. One of the most, like the things that has helped me the most is actually like, I'm a big believer in you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm, yeah, and yeah. if you're around people who are negative, if you're around people who like don't value their worth, if you're around people who like don't charge enough, right? Like you're going to embody that and you're going to do that yourself. So getting around people who are like, think big, who are kind of like, are yeah. the type of person that you want to be, I think like helps, um, a lot but jordan i want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast this has been a ton of fun it's always a pleasure having you on here um let people know where should they go to get the book obviously we're gonna have a link to the book on amazon but is there somewhere else you'd rather send them to get that book and then of course where can they where is it best for them to connect with you yeah uh another book the amazon is, is fine um that's where the book's going to be, but it's also on like, if you, if you get your books from barnesandnoble.com, it's on there too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll put the Amazon link. We'll use that for now. And uh, I'm just super appreciative of you, man. And the platform that you give me because it's, uh, it's just, it's really cool to support each other and like be able to watch each other grow in this process. We still haven't met yet. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person next year <laughs> in, uh, in Portugal. I imagine that's going to be where we make it happen. Uh, so yeah, dude, like if people want to follow me, uh, you know, you can go to my website, the, the remote job Otherwise, yeah, grab the book, which will be in the description. Perfect, man. Well, I look forward to meeting as well. Hopefully we make it happen this year and always a pleasure, dude. And, uh, all the best. Congrats on the book again. Awesome, man. Thank you. <laughs>